My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I just came off a sabbatical with my family uh, here last week live for the first time. It was great to be home. It's always good to come home. It really is. It's exciting. Uh, this is uh, my lovely family. We were there in uh, Caesarea on the coast. Look at that. What in the world are we feeding these children? Um, all, they're all taller than mom, and they should all be taller than me here shortly. Uh, but this is uh, what's left of the aqueduct system that Herod the Great built from Mount Carmel, you know, the Old Testament story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, to get fresh water down to the coast to his uh, seaport harbor there. And there's parts of it left. And so it was great. We were climbing up on there and, and it's fun. My family did a, just a great job. I was really proud of, of my boys for enjoying that time and really, you know, just getting into the spirit of what God had done in the nation of Israel and it, making it alive, you know, opening the Bible and seeing the stories and having these moments where God just really reveals himself. Uh, sabbatical, if you don't know about it, first time I heard about it, I didn't know about it. Sabbatical is this. It's a period of paid leave granted to a university teacher or other worker. In the original Greek, that means Pastor James. For study or travel, no, traditionally one year for every seven years worked. Um, Now, I'm pretty sure, you know, that you have to be in the upper, upper parts of that uh, in order to to get that. Uh, Why we have sabbaticals at Sunrise is is basically because I had just come from a church in Boise. Great church, lovely people, uh, small church. I'd been there five years serving. But one thing was true was that they did not know how to uh, treat their pastors well. And and I say this, you know, I've joked with some of the people in leadership now, but the fact is, is that their motto was, uh, we'll keep you poor and God will keep you humble, that kind of thing, you know. And it was it was a small church mentality in that. And, and so I came to Sunrise and we were about 220 people at that point. And I said, I'd like an employment agreement. And they said, um, what is that? And I said, I, I just need something written down because my last church had nothing written down and things changed from year to year. And there was no way to kind of follow through with that and understand that. And they said, well, we've never had one of those. And so I went to, uh, you know, several conservative Baptist churches in the Portland area. And I was, you know, kind of finding anything out and most didn't have an employment agreement. And, and I thought this was important. I want to make sure that, uh, you know, things go well at sunrise. And, and uh, I went to Milwaukee First Baptist and a good church and my friend had been serving there and they had one. And and so I grabbed it and I went through and I liked some things. It talked about here's how much you'll get paid and here's uh, ministry input. Like you can go to conferences, ministry output. You can go speak at camps, things. And then it had this thing called sabbatical. And I had to look it up in the dictionary to make sure I was correct. And they said, after every six years, you get 12 weeks off. And I thought, well, 
you know, that'd be nice, right? And so I just grabbed the whole thing and I just scanned it in and put Sunrise at the top and I presented it to the deacons at the time. And they said, sure, why not? Probably because no pastor had ever stayed six years at Sunrise, you know, and it's like that, that's so long, so far away. And, uh, you know, and so as pastors, we, you know, at the end of every six years, we, we do enjoy some time off and it's for reflection. It's for education. I've taken classes, done some travel in that. And, uh, it is a, is a great thing. I, I know a lot of businesses do that. Intel does that. Other companies do that. And not everybody can do that. I understand that it is an incredible honor and blessing to have been able to receive those. I've had four sabbaticals at sunrise, uh, being here 25 years and it's been a blessing. Now, if you look at the word sabbatical, there is a hidden word in there. All right, children, let's start the music. Find the word. It's the word Sabbath, right? I don't know if you know the word Sabbath. If you go to Israel today, it's not Sabbath, it's Shabbat. And uh, they say Shabbat Shalom, which is like a Sabbath peace or a Sabbath rest. Shalom isn't just peace. It just means it's how it should be. Everything is right in the world, which is a peace, right? And so if you have Shalom with someone, it is just this idea that it's, it's how God made it to be peaceful, but perfect. And so Shabbat being Sabbath, they say Shabbat Shalom as they're on their Sabbath, which is on their Saturday. And, and they do that. And, and uh, we don't do it that way. We don't Probably as Christians practice Sabbath, we have just transferred the idea of Sabbath onto Sunday and we go to church. But the idea of Sabbath actually is a critical function of followers of Jesus Christ. You know, I I believe this because I began instituting Sabbath principles in my life 10, 15 years ago. I believe that if you practice some of these Sabbath principles we're going to be sharing over the next six weeks, uh, your life will change drastically. Uh, is in, for the good and uh, maybe for the challenging because the idea of Sabbath and practicing Sabbath is very difficult in the world in which you and I live in today. But I guarantee, in fact, God guarantees that practicing principles of Sabbath will change you. It'll change your faith. It'll change your family. It'll change the focus of your life because we live in a 24-7 completely wired, wireless, connected world and it is hard to disconnect and to actually rest. And so today I want to just give a big overview of the idea of Sabbath. The world we live in is filled with pressing demands, um, unrelenting schedules and calendars, extreme expectations. I was a college student and I picked up a thing called a day timer. <laughs> I'm that old. And uh, I remember then going to be a youth pastor at my church in Boise, and I used my day timer. I grabbed my pencil, and I fill in appointments. And uh, one day, I encountered one of my high school students, and he had a day timer. And I thought, well, what do you need a day timer for? And now everybody has a phone in their pocket with every calendar and every item and every schedule that incessantly beeps and tells us about what we need to do next, right? We live in a world that will not give up. And there are great blessings with this technological advancement, but there are some burdens as well. And I think one of the greatest challenges to practicing Sabbath today is that it will go against the flow of everyone else around you. And so over the next six weeks, I want to slowly build the case for Sabbath. And today I just want to talk about it as what it is, a rest. Um, throughout history, one of the challenges that we as people need to learn to, you know, understand, and we have to do it over and over again, is we can never have enough. 
we're never content. It's, it's kind of the strange part of living in the United States today is that we have more than anyone of any season, any time, any generation before us. In fact, you know, for the most part, more of anyone around the world today, uh, we have more than enough. We're the richest society that's ever existed, and yet we still need more. We still want more. We're never content with what we have. Uh, We live longer than people have lived of any generation before us, and yet we never have enough time, right, to do all the things we want to do. We have, uh, you know, the most technology. We live in the most advanced age of anyone ever before us, unless you believe the UFOs built the pyramids. Um, You know, we carry smartphones around that have more technological insight and advancement than the computers that sent them into the moon 50 years ago. We we have all that available to us, and yet we clamor for the newer and faster iPhones or Samsungs or computers that come out. We can find anything about any subject. In fact, pastors now struggle because everybody sits there, and you could look up on blueletterbible.com, Greek and Hebrew, and you could read commentaries, or you can check Facebook status or Twitter or whatever. And, and you know, you, you can fact-check everything. You can go to Snopes, or you can go to those places, and you could question every little statement from every little person. It's good to be inquisitive. Uh, but the fact is, is there's so much information out there. We are drowning in information. We have all of the money to buy all these things, and somehow we are less content than civilizations before us. We have created a culture that keeps us tired, that keeps us impatient, that keeps us wanting, and keeps us willing to give up more of our lives, our convenience, for entertainment's sake. And somehow it doesn't deliver on what it promises, this satisfaction that we so desire is always elusive and always around the corner. And so we continue to seek things that we don't have and want things that probably we shouldn't really need, and yet they're important to us. Think about it. From our whole economic standpoint, our economy as an American uh, culture of consumerism is built on this never-ending gratification, this never-ending addiction, this never-ending unnecessary spending. I mean, we spend money on things, to buy things, to uh, really basically fill in the gaps and the holes, to cheer ourselves up when we're sad, right? People, There are some people that have shopping addictions, right? The reason they buy is because there's a depression in their life. Uh, reward ourselves. You do a good job. You take yourself out. You go do something. You go on a trip. We celebrate our adventures, right? Um, we try to fix our problems. We try to alleviate our boredom. I was reading a Sabbath book uh, not too long ago, and it was written uh, many, many, many years ago in the 50s, and it said, what if New York City shut down one day a week? And I thought, well, that's fascinating. What if Hillsborough shut down one day a week, right? What if the electricity was pulled for one 24-hour period? What would you do? I listened to a podcast. It's, it's a fun podcast. It's called The Art of Manliness. And uh, it's, it's Brett McKay. It's just, it's just a great thing. It's a lot of intelligent stuff, reading books, challenging on thoughts. And last year, he had a couple podcasts that talked about this idea of youth and children never experiencing boredom. And when they finally hit it, that boredom experience, they go into a crisis because they've never felt that black hole of what do I do, you know, boredom. And, uh, you know, we say in our family, if you're 
if you're bored, you're boring, you know, and which really goes over well, guaranteed that, you know. But but he talked about this camp in upstate New York that would receive the, the students, and it was a multi-week camp, and uh, they confiscated every phone, every cell phone. And within a day or two, kids are in the fetal position, you know, in their beds, and they just they're just almost comatose. They do not know how to function and survive, right? I'm not knocking on the kids. I'm just saying that's part of all of us, but this social experiment they do. And then after like day two or day three, they're getting up and eating again. You know, they're, they're walking and then they're hanging out and, and lo and behold, they're talking to real living people and they're sharing and they're laughing and they're playing games and they're inventing games by the end of the week out in the woods. And they're having the greatest of times. And they do that a couple of weeks. And then guess what? They give them their cell phones back and instantaneously they're checking statuses and emails and things like that. And everybody's isolated. Not one person is having a conversation. They're all sitting in the tables together, but nobody's talking. They're all looking down at their screens, right? And slowly children begin to turn their devices back in because they've experienced something they hadn't experienced in their lives. The need to shut off from technology to actually have a living, breathing relationship and I think that you and I need to do that with all of life so that we can have living, breathing relationships with one another and to a greater degree, God. I recently read this article on our empty pursuit. An author, an online author said, for the economy, for the economy to be healthy, America has to remain unhealthy. Healthy, happy people don't feel like they need much they don't already have, and that means they don't buy a lot of junk, don't need to be entertained as much, and they don't end up watching a lot of commercials. I mean, think about that. If we pulled the plug, if for whatever reason we decided that one day a week we pick it, uh, there is no electricity, we would survive. Our meat would thaw, but, you know, things would be okay, right? Uh, what if everything stopped? I think our economy would crash, because we don't know how to say no. I mean, we're never satisfied. We're never content. And we always want more. Now, I'm saying that because I'm in the same boat as you. I'm always thinking about that, right? I'm always reading articles online. I see things that are shiny and that are new. And I wonder, if, boy, if I had that, how much would that, you know? And then it's like empty pursuit, right? I struggle with it as well as you do. Thousands of years ago, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God prescribed what I believe is the antidote to our nonstop world, the answer to the chaos that we're in. And the rhythm that we're missing is this simple idea of a Sabbath. And it's simply this, work six days and don't work one day. Just stop working, rest. Now, maybe we work five days or maybe we work six days and we go, well, that's not a big deal. I, I have the weekends off. But I think as we see week after week in this series, I don't think we really rest or we don't rest the way that God wants us to rest. Now, I'm not going to get all religious. Uh, when my grandparents were alive and I was a kid living in their house, they had blue laws in Indiana. Anybody know what that is? It means they couldn't buy things. You know, you just, They just could not go to the store. Or it was severely looked down on if you went shopping on Sunday. I'm not advocating that. <laughs> I'm not saying this should be a religion. I'm saying there should be rest. And perhaps we need to institute some rituals into our lives that I want to share over the weeks that'll help us rest, but we're not going to get all religious about it. We're going to get back to the heart of what God wanted to do. In the beautiful story of Genesis 1, uh, Moses recounts how God created everything. And, you know, you've, you've read it, and I just want to kind of recap. And God does something amazing in six days. 
in day one, he creates the light. In day two, he creates the waters. In day three, he creates the land. But then if you've ever noticed this, in day four, he goes back to the lights and he separates the lights, the, the light and the darkness. And then day five, he goes to the water and he separates the water and the land. And then on day six, he takes the land and he does this creation of all kinds of living beings on there. And then on the seventh day, he stops. He rests from all his work. And it says this in Genesis chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Now, I believe that. I believe that what the Bible says is true. I, I do not believe in evolution, and, and you, know, you can knock me for that, and that's okay. I believe that there is a powerful God, and if he's powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he can pretty much do anything he wants, okay? And so I'm good with, I'm good with what the Bible says. I do not understand it. I do not comprehend how it could all work, but that's okay. I'm taking it at face value. And so God creates everything in six days, and the rhythm changes for six days god is what we say busy creating and he creates everything we see around us and the rhythm shifts on the next day so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day god had finished his work of creation so he rested from all the work his work and god blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation Now, when I think about creating all that stuff, I'd be tired too, right? You know, but that's not what it means. When I think of rest, I think about uh, taking a nap, right? Anybody think about, oh, I'm going to get some rest, right? Why don't you lie down for some rest? Or I'm going to have a day of rest. I'm just going to not do the normal things, right? Uh, But the word rest is an interesting word. The word means to cease or it means to desist. Uh, It means to uh, stop or pause or rest. Uh, So it doesn't mean just take a nap. Because uh, you're exhausted. It means to change the rhythm. It means to stop doing what you were doing. Uh, God stopped working. He was done. Now to bring honor to the day when God ceased, when God uh, desisted, stopped, he paused, or he rested from all his work, God actually created a day of ceasing. It's kind of fun. God said, okay, on this seventh day, I'm stopping. I'm resting. I'm pausing. I'm um, ceasing from all that activity. And so I want to, I want a day where that becomes the norm. Uh, God's day of ceasing would become our day of ceasing. It's called the Sabbath and it's a day that God set apart as holy. Now the, the word Sabbath itself isn't used here yet. It shows up. We'll see next week in the Bible, but, uh, the idea of rest comes from the root word of the same root word of Sabbath. And so the, the idea is there, the inkling, the little you know, microcosm of the idea that later is developed in the Bible is there, is that he rested, he Sabbathed, he stopped, he ceased. And it says that he called the day holy. Now, what does the word holy mean? Holy simply means this, to be set apart, uh, to set something apart for a specific use, a specific purpose. In the Old Testament, you see items in the temple or tabernacle being called holy. They're set aside. Maybe they look normal, but these are not normal. These are specifically for God or his use. And it's kind of cool because the word holy is always a word that it really describes God or his person or his activity. It's not something that we are a part of on our own, but God is. He's inherently holy, and it represents his mystery and his majesty. And so the first thing in all the Bible, in all of creation, that God says is holy, check this out. It's not a place. It's not a mountain. 
It's not, uh, it's not a person, right, because he is holy. It's not uh, an object that's holy. Later, there are places that are holy. Later, there are people that are holy. Later, there are objects that are holy. But the first holy thing isn't really a thing. It's a day. It's a 24-hour period of time. God said again and again that what he created was good. When he creates on day one through five and six, it's good, it's good. And then on day six, he creates mankind, it's very good. But none of those match the word holy. There's good, there's very good, and then there's holy, which is set apart, which is special, which is unique. And God says the holy thing of my creation is that I'm not creating anymore, that I'm resting, that I'm stopping. And so God, at the very beginning of all time, ceased from his work, and he says, I want to develop a pattern that all mankind can walk in, and that is 24-6. Work six days, work hard, do all the work, and then don't work. Just stop working. And God set it aside as holy. Now, in coming weeks, we'll talk about what to do on a holy day like that, and that's fine, and different people do different things. I'll share some of that today with you. But just think about the concept, the idea of stopping all the activity. What would it look like for you to look at your calendar and take one day, whatever the day is, for some it might be Saturday, it might be Sunday. Mine for years has been Friday. Just Friday, decades have been Friday. And just black it out. And not allow anything to go on that calendar. What would that do to you? I'm going to advocate turning off things, devices, not checking email, not checking statuses. What would that do to you as a human being? Well, we probably couldn't do it as a culture a whole day. And maybe it could be a couple hours or half a day. All right, that's fine. But just get started. What would it look like for you to say, one day I'm not going to do what I normally do? Now, now for me, when I think about the idea of Sabbath, it's simply this, you know, whatever is work, just don't do that. There is a great book I read years ago uh, when I first started this journey about 15 years ago by uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. It's called the Sabbath appropriately enough. And this is what he says. He says, six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth on the Sabbath We especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we seek to dominate the self. It's a great book. A lot of quotes. I'll probably share some with you. But uh, it's a book that he wrote with his daughter where they describe what a Jewish Sabbath looks like. And they talk about rituals. They talk about, you know, just the practices. He talks about scripture. He gets into some, you know, things rabbinical that I don't, you know, align myself with. That's fine. But, but he's someone that practiced Sabbath. And his daughter talks about how it changed her life as well. And I enjoy that. Because when we think about the world, we do seek to dominate whatever it is. We seek to rule. And that's part of what we're here for. God says manage creation, you know, rule over the creation. But then one day a week, we realize that uh, we want God to rule over us, right? I mean, hopefully all days. But one specific day we stop and say, okay, God, this is a special time between us. This rhythm of 6-1 has been in place since the beginning of creation. And I think we can reclaim it as holy as a people. Um, Over the weeks, we're going to talk about taking some time. And I'm just going to say, make it your day. I don't know. 
these days, my Sabbath is Saturday because we shifted our Saturday night services to Sunday. We actually get a, a Sabbath day. Uh, I had to take Friday before, and, and that has its uh, wonderful aspects and some challenging aspects. But what would it look like to take a day? And not a day off to get all the chores done, necessarily. Not a day off to just lie in bed. Probably not, you know. Not a day to just sit there in the sofa and stare at nothing. Not a day just to read the Bible all day or pray all day or sing songs all day. Go to church all day. I'm not saying that. But a day that is different from the other days. That is actually a 180 that would reset your life and your soul. Traditional Jewish Sabbath uh, that we would know of today begins on Friday night. It begins on sundown uh, because in the Bible, the day begins when the sun goes down and it then culminates in the evening the next day. And if you read Jewish literature or the Sabbath by Heschel, uh, there, there will be a gathering. There's a preparation about two o'clock. Things begin to shut down and people begin to do the last preparation and people show up for dinner and families celebrate dinner and they light candles and they have glasses of wine and a special meal and special tablecloth and all those things. And that's great. And they do that as a, a way to remember and everything is important. That's wonderful. And then they have family time. The next morning they get up and they walk uh, to synagogue and then they worship together and they spend time together and then they go to people's homes and they take naps and they do all those things and then they culminate with basically a party. Uh, First time my wife and I went to Israel, it was on Shabbat and we did not realize that what it meant to be in Jerusalem near the old city on Sabbath and had some challenges. But when Friday night, you know, was over and Saturday was quiet, just dead quiet in the streets. When we were out, as Saturday began to close, the party started. We were on this place called Ben Yehuda Street that's just outside of the old city. And it was the biggest concert of music and dancing and singing we'd ever seen just break out on the streets. And people were They were literally doing somersaults and flips and kids were dancing. And it was a party to celebrate. The Sabbath was over. We just spent time. And before we go back to normal, let's remember one last time. Wouldn't it be cool if we all had a party at the end of a day? Now, how do you do it? How do you do it? I just want to share a couple thoughts um, because I fear that many of us, because I would say I did this for years as a pastor, I would just take my little highlighter that I conveniently chose as the color black and I would mark out sections of scripture or I would tear pages out of the Bible because I said, well, that doesn't relate to me today because I'm in the New Testament and and the Sabbath and this and that. And, And, you know, I think there's merit to some of those arguments, no problem. But the principle of Sabbath is greater than just a command because it was instituted in creation. It was instituted before God's law was ever established. And what would it look like for you and me to say, you know what? A day is not meant to restrict me. This day is meant to rescue me from the life that is all around me, that dominates me. What would it look like to create enough habits in your life that you had a hard stop to where you didn't do whatever you normally did? And the six days, again, you dominated the world or whatever that looked like. But on the seventh day, you let God dominate your soul. Now, so how do we do this? Like I said, for me, whatever is work, just don't do it. And uh, again, I'm not super religious about this. I'm not going to advocate Jewish principles or anything like that. A couple weeks, I'll show you the 39 laws that the Pharisees put together. And it's like, not even close. I'm not even going to institute one law in my life, except just this idea. Whatever is work, don't do it, right? So for me, what is not work, I do that. My family and I, we do those things on those days. For some people, it is rest. Uh, 
and they could not mow the lawn. For me, mowing the lawn is awesome. I'm sick. I am twisted inside. As a pastor, I never see anything done. And so if I can, I, I ironed my shirt this morning. Do you know what it felt like to iron a shirt? It was glorious. I iron, don't drop off your clothes in my house, please. But I, I pulled out the iron, I pulled out the shirt, and I pressed the shirt, and I thought, oh. Not just was it warm when I put it on, that's an extra bonus. I accomplished something, and it felt good. Mowing, I have two acres. It accomplished, I listened to podcast or music, you know, and I just like, I feel good afterwards. Like, I accomplished, it was great, it was, it was restful to me, okay? Uh, for my wife working in the garden, perhaps. My wife and I go out on a run, you know, or a walk, or we just go hang out. Our family go, this Sabbath, our family, we skateboarded and we found a new park, you know, in the South Hillsborough area. My wife rollerbladed, the boys and I, we had skateboards and we longboard around, we hung out, and we just did a dinner at home. It was tacos, Nothing spiritual about tacos necessarily. I've had some really good taco experiences, but it's just we had some tacos at our home. And normally, you know, we, we watch a movie in addition to going outside or play games and everything. And we watched the movie, the Tolkien movie, to, about his life. We love Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits and Lewis and all that stuff. And so, you know, we just hung out and spent time together. And then yesterday as our Sabbath, we just relaxed. The boys went to work, okay? My wife and I just relaxed, okay? And we just did that. So whatever is work to you, just knock it off, right? But find out what is not work. And that will be different for different people. The idea here is to find out what will tend your own soul. And I would say it this way. Whatever drains you, that's work, you know. Just do something that fills you. God created the Sabbath as a day of rest. And I believe we need to honor that day as holy. However we figure that out in our lives. No matter how crazy busy our lives are. Now, let me show you just a quick understanding, and I'm going to hand this out to you with a bookmark when the service is over. But uh, big picture, this is what I would say are four purposes for the Sabbath. Number one, it is for rest. That is the idea to cease to rest. But I think physically rest as well. Uh, God built rest into our very makeup. Think about this. God built our bodies to shut down, uh, hopefully eight hours a day, you know, Think about that. You Sabbath one-third of the day, or you should, right? Or something around that percentage. You're inactive. You're non-productive, right? And if you don't do that, you will be non-productive or institutionalized after a while, right? Or hospitalized. Um, part of practicing the discipline of rest is more than just, you know, going to bed earlier, taking a nap. It's the idea that there's a, a rhythm of the incessant interruptions It's resting physically, but it's resting maybe socially in some ways. It's resting technologically. Uh, Some people don't turn on television. I I just don't turn on the internet for me. I just don't check email. In fact, I found a very interesting thing. If you don't answer your phone, the world does not end. It actually goes to voicemail. It's kind of cool if you notice that. It's really good. And uh, because as a kid, I grew up in the day where if you didn't answer the phone, you know, something was wrong because it kept ringing. You know, and uh, I, I discovered this years ago that I own the phone, and that means I don't have to answer it. And I don't know if that appears rude to some people, but I don't have to answer the phone on some days. In fact, I've discovered that if the world falls apart, then somebody will drive to my house because they know where I live. You know, it's okay. It's all right just to say no to rest. What does it mean to rest from? Well, physically, maybe socially, technologically, just to rest. The Sabbath is for recreation. Recreation isn't just running around or whatever, because for some of you, that would be work, okay? No, it just means to do something that expresses your creativity, 
Uh, some people go hiking. They go climbing. That, that's work for others, right? It's like, no way would I do that. That's work. Others like, yeah, there's some work involved, but it's not work. It's filling. It's unbelievable when I go out on a run. I love that. There's nothing. For me, one of the most exciting things I can do is just take time to just go out on a long run. Whether I go out in the country or a forest park or just go a place. Man, I feel God speak and I feel his presence there. Recreation. Spend time with family. Like I said, you know, we went skateboarding or rollerblading or whatever. Just find something to do. Play a musical instrument. I don't know. Rebuild an engine. Bake a cake. I don't know. Just find something to do that's fun. Um, I, you know, the reality is it brings joy in your life when there's a recreation. Uh, the Sabbath is for relationships. This is critical. We're going to see this in a few weeks, how part of that is our faith and our family uh, and the friends and how that relates to God and what he's done for us. But we were made to live life together. We were meant to have experiences with one another spiritually, relationally, socially. And I think authentic relationships are challenging in this uh, online day and age. It's hard to have real friendships and real relationships. But I think the quality time that we can have with people is when we just intentionally say, let's go over to someone's house for dinner. Let's go out to lunch together. Let's go in August, have a picnic together. Let's go to Hag Lake together. Let's, let's go to the mountains together. Let's just go do something together. Let's take a drive to the coast with another family. Let's just spend some time with another couple. Let's just grab some friends and go do something. That's part of the relationship. We practice, and we started this about 14, 15 years ago, uh, what we call Friday night family night. And so that was the end of our Sabbath. Now it's the beginning of our Sabbath, where that's just what we do. Every Friday night is, is sacred for us. Again, it's not religious. It, happens, you know, maybe 90% of the time, but we just know that that's what we do. And we rotate around. Each of our sons have a, a focus and a meal or an activity. And we do that. And it's important to us because it's all about a relationship and we do it together. And finally, the Sabbath is for reflection. In the busy world, in the chaotic world you and I live in, in the world that has a treadmill of activity that will keep us stuck running while it sucks the life out of us, if we're not careful... What we need is time to intentionally pull away. Again, I'm forecasting, but in a few weeks and about a month, we're going to see Jesus do this, intentionally pull away. He did this a lot. And he withdrew from everything. And if anybody should have shown up 24-7, it would have been Jesus, right? Because there were still people that needed taught and fed and healed. And yet Jesus, during his busiest times, withdrew to be with his heavenly father. And he taught his disciples to do the same. If you're like I am, you have more projects than time, right? I'm a little bit of a workaholic, struggle with that. And so in order to keep the Sabbath holy, we have to say no, and we have to stop. Our brains and our bodies were not designed to go nonstop. And what happens for me on the Sabbath or on a special Sabbath I take once a month is I just reflect and spend a day with God. It's all of a sudden ideas come. All of a sudden in the middle of my rest reflection comes and I hear God speak in ways that he doesn't normally speak because my life gets so busy that I can't hear him until I slow down to be with God. I believe the Sabbath helps us clear away the distractions of life so we can rest, rest with one another, rest with God and to experience his grace, not his law, not his legalism. And I'm not talking about religion and rules here. I'm talking about his freedom and his grace in a new way. I believe the Sabbath is a day to stop the activity that occupies most work days and participate in activities that stimulate peace, stimulate worship, 
stimulate relationships and celebration, and most of all, stimulate thankfulness and reliance upon God. I believe Sabbath teaches us grace because it invites us to rest and invites us to rely on God. And we're going to pick that idea up next week and to focus on the fact that our God is our sustainer, not just our creator, but the one that keeps us going. And so beginning a habit of Sabbath is challenging. And so I had two questions thrown at me that I want to throw at you that I began with. And it's this first one. What should I stop doing on the Sabbath? For some of you, maybe you would say, I need to stop. And I said, checking email. For some of you, I need to stop checking Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, right? Or I need to stop working. I need to actually clock out, right? Uh, for some of you, I need to stop and you fill in the blank. What do you need to stop doing? Just, just a thought. The second is the opposite. What do you need to start doing? What, what should you start doing on the Sabbath? Uh, man, I have a lot of ideas I'll be sharing in the weeks to come, but one of them was family night. You know, family night. That, that just one night a week, our family would say, we're carving out space for this. We're, you know, doing our best to protect this space. And we're going to start a ritual where one night a week, we guarantee we're together. And that's going to be a special time for us. And our boys were just young. And I said, Mary Beth, I want our boys to grow up knowing and remembering these special moments. And we have a blast on our family nights. What should you start doing? Uh, maybe you should start just having a time in God's word that's not a regular pattern and habit of your life. Or a time in prayer. Or a time intentionally seeking relationships with someone. Say, you know what? On my Sabbath, I'm going to go to lunch with someone that I want to deepen a relationship with. That's an awesome thing. On my Sabbath, I want to start fill in the blank. You know, I want to I read a book that's going to fill my life. Perfect. Do that. For some of you, I want to actually get to some of those projects I can never get to. As long as that's not work, right? It might tire you out, but it might fill you. Now, sometimes the most filling things can exhaust us, right? But that's okay. What should you stop doing and what should you start doing? And what I'd like to do in the coming weeks is talk about how the very concept of Sabbath relates to now a rest that you and I can have with God. And so when you think about Sabbath, I don't want you to think about, oh, great, one more thing to do. You know, now we're going to get all religious about this. We're, we're expecting more. What I want to challenge you to do is expect less. And if you've practiced it, I know you have experienced what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, go on a trust journey this week of looking at your calendar and just think about a black highlighter. <laughs> just think about a big old fat black Sharpie that might block out a portion of a day or maybe a whole day and begin to put something practical into habit. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be annoying. In fact, you're going to have people that wonder what happened to you. You dropped off the planet for a day and you're going to go, you know what? I just needed some me time. Just call it that. That's accepted in our culture, right? It's you and God time. It's you and your family, your friend time. Just unashamedly say, I just took a day off. I just ceased. And you will be practicing what God practiced on that first day of creation. Let's pray together. Father God, it's hard for us to say no. It's hard for us to stop because we just don't have that built into the rhythm. And if we do not stop, we will crash. We will hit the wall so hard, Lord, that you will force us to stop. And so may we listen to you, not necessarily to me, but to you, and practice Sabbath rest 
and find the joy and freedom of relying on you for all our provision. We pray in your name. Amen.